Today we are going to continue in Romans 6, verses, 11 through, uh, verses 8 through 11. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Uh, this is the third sermon in our mini-series on holiness. And as we naturally want to just jump into the list of things that we are to do or not to do in order to pursue holiness... We're going to fight against that and try to keep in step with what Paul is doing here as he progresses through chapter 6. The theology that Paul is laying out in Romans 6, 1 through 11 can be very intimidating, hard to understand, and honestly just a lot easier if we pass over it. But that's essentially why we're here today, to wrestle with it. When preaching on this text many years ago, John Piper urged his people to be patient to consider these deep things so that they can grow to be huge redwoods with a deep, strong root system. He pleads with them to reckon, consider, tap into these deep truths about who they are in Christ so they become sages in the faith. I join with him this morning, and, and I make that plea with you today. Be patient. Wrestle. Let the truth of who Christ is, which is true of who you are, settle deep into your being and enable you to live a life to God in Christ Jesus. We're going to get to progressive sanctification because Paul gets there, but just not yet. We have to know who we are. We have to know who we are, uh, who, that we are definitively sanctified. Sinclair Ferguson says this of this passage, when we reckon this truth about who we are, then we are ready for Paul to unleash the imperatives that follow. So let's work hard this morning to reckon the truth of who we are in Christ. There's a saying my mom has that she's used for many years. She already knows sitting out there what I'm about to say. I heard it a, a ton as a teenager, and even the other night, Lydia was going to hang with some friends, and I used it on her. It never failed that as we're trying to get ready to get out the door, we would hear my mom's voice, remember who you are and what you stand for. We, of course, as teenagers, gave sarcastic remarks like, oh, thanks, I forgot I was David, you know, or would just blow it off or even try to finish saying it before she could get it out of her mouth. But it wasn't just a one-liner with, with no meaning. There's great intention behind what my mom was doing here. Remember who you are and what you stand for. I don't think my mom was really worried that we would get out in public and actually forget who we were. I also don't think she was particularly aiming for us to go on some journey to find out who we were. What she was doing was telling us that we have an identity and that identity matters. Who we are matters. Who we are dictates how we live and the choices we make. In saying that, she was hopeful that upon the opportunity to make a wrong or bad decision, our remembrance of our identity, us remembering who we were, would lead us to make some wise choices. And we did oftentimes forget who we were. Remember who you are and what you stand for. This is what Paul is doing here in our text today and so much more. He isn't just telling us to remember who we are, but he is telling us who we are in Christ. And then he's calling us to reckon that, to tap into it to account that so that we can live to God. Romans 6, 1 through 11, we're going to start in 1 and go all the way there. 
What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Father, please help us this morning to wrestle with the truth of your word. Let us see who Christ is this morning. And Lord, let that truth settle deep into who we are so that we see, Lord, that's who we are. We are united in Christ. Help us by your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the past few weeks, Corey's walked us through verses 1 through 7. We've seen that upon believing in Christ, we become united with him through his death and resurrection. We were buried with him in his death and raised to newness of life in his resurrection. Our old man has been put to death. And since we have died, we have been set free from sin. We learned before that that Adam no longer represents us, but we are represented by Christ. We are justified by our faith in him. What we are seeing now through six is that we are not only justified by faith, but we are also sanctified by faith. Now we continue on as Paul continues to expound on our union with Christ and what it means to be definitively sanctified. Today's sermon is titled, Alive to God. And here's the main point of the sermon. We can live to God because of who we are and who we will be. Let me say it again. We can live to God because of who we are and who we will be. There's three truths I want to drive home today as we break this text down. First, we will live with him. Second, death has no dominion. And third, this is who you are. Start with number one. We will live with him. Look at verse 8 with me. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. What does Paul mean here by we will also live with him? Is he talking about here and now, presently, living with Christ in this life? Or is he talking about living with him in the life to come? The resurrected life in the future. I'm fully convinced that Paul's talking about both. Scholars refer to this as an eschatological, that's a hard word to say, eschatological tension, okay? Maybe a better way to say this is there's an already not yet truth to this. But already we believe that Christ is living now to God 
And therefore, because we are unified in him, we are presently living with him. By not yet, our living with him is not fully realized, and it can't be fully realized until our bodily resurrection. This is true of our definitive sanctification that we have because of our union in Christ. We are already, right now, definitively and positionally sanctified, but we have not fully realized or experienced that yet. This truth of knowing who we are right now, who we will be, empowers us to be alive to God. We rest in the truth of Christ's resurrection now and the hope of our physical resurrection to come. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 26. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even to be found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are all, of all people most to be pitied. But the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man death came, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. After that, those, are, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to our God and Father. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. We hope in Christ for this life, and we live now and the life we will live upon our physical resurrection. How does this help us live to God now? Think with me about your sin. The sin that you've been mastered by your whole life. Because of our union with Christ, that sin is no longer our master. You have been set free from it but it's still there, right? Making itself known wherever and however it can. That's what we experience. Now think of the day when we will live with him, that future day. After the final resurrection, we will stand with God and that old master will not be anywhere to be found. Our thoughts will be pure. Our motives will be pure. We will be living with him as he designed us to live perfectly in imaging him. No weight of sin, past or present, no old man haunting us, holy as he is holy. When hearing the taunts of your old master attempting to lure you back into sin, think on that day. Think on that day in hope. That is who you are in Christ. We will live with him. That day then can empower you to live today towards holiness. Think on that future day. 
think on that future day. We can live to God, and we are alive to God, and that's today. And we look forward to that weightless, sinless day to come. And as far as today, Jesus is alive today. He is alive, living to God and reigning as king. And we, unified in him, are empowered by the Holy Spirit, are free to be alive to God today. We are not dead people. We have been spiritually resurrected and are alive in Christ. It doesn't matter if you don't feel alive. It doesn't matter if you don't feel alive. You may feel dead because you are constantly giving in to sin. But if you are in Christ, you are alive. That's why Paul is writing this. Not so you feel a certain way, but so that you would know the truth of your position in Christ, and that would enable you to live today. We will live with him already and not yet. Number two, death has no dominion. Death has no dominion. Look at verses 9 through 10 with me. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Just as we have already seen this already not yet reality to the resurrection life, we see it here again, this eschatological tension with death. As we just read in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians, the last enemy that will be abolished is death, meaning that it hasn't happened yet. We see in verses 9 through 10 of Romans 6, what we just read, that death already has been defeated. Here it is again, the already, not yet. This is big stuff right here. Jesus' defeat of death ushered in a new era of time. Ever since sin entered into time, Death has had dominion. Death has won every time. Death has had dominion from the first sin, and all have had to answer to it. Since first epoch of time, even Jesus Christ, as man, had to come and live under the dominion of death. Even though he never sinned, he had to live under the dominion of death so that he could answer to it and defeat it. Jesus didn't just say, I have won over death and declared it to be true. No, he came as a man, lived under the dominion of sin so that he could die, be raised from the dead, and be victorious over death. Jesus, being resurrected from the dead, ushered in the second epoch of time, a new era in history. We now live in between Christ's resurrection from the grave and his return, or the, the final resurrection. It's this new era of redemption, this new age of redemption. For death no longer has dominion. Jesus has buried death in his grave. Hear these words from a song by John Mark McMillan. He says, On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief, but awoke with the keys. Of hell on that day, the firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid death in his grave. Death has been laid in his grave. Why is this a big deal? 
Because not only have our sins been paid for by Christ's death on the cross, but the result of those sins, what sin earns us, has been answered to and defeated. Death has no more dominion over you, Christian. It reigned from the death of Abel until Christ walked out of that tomb, and it reigns no more. Listen to what scholar Douglas Moo says of this. He says, Christ's resurrection means that he no longer dies. Death no longer has lordship over him. This language shows again that Paul is viewing matters from the perspective of the two ages of salvation history. Christ, in coming to earth incarnate, came under the lordship of death. Because of this, Paul can say that Christ is no longer under the lordship of death. Just as the general resurrection will bring death to an end, so Christ's resurrection ends the power of death over himself as well as anticipating the defeat of death in all of those who belong to him. So as those who are identified with Christ, we can be confident of sharing in that defeat of death when we live with him. We can be confident of sharing in that defeat of death when we live with him. Now that death has no dominion, the life Christ lives, he lives to God. There is no other that Christ has to answer to. The dominating reign of death is over, and therefore Christ can now live all of life to God, only living to glorify God. No other master. Christian, death not only has lost its dominion over Jesus, death has lost his dominion over you. If this is true of Christ, it's true of you. You don't answer to death. For death has already been answered to by one greater. You now live the life you live to God. For you are united in Christ. Number three. We can get to this final truth and uh, settle here for just a minute. Christian, this is who you are. Paul doesn't just say, this is who you are, go for it. Good luck. There's a lot more here. Verse 11 is so important for us to get. It's this diving board from our definitive sanctification into our progressive or transformational sanctification. Read verse 11 with me. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul has just spent 10 verses of this chapter expounding on our union with Christ. He's informed us that we have this new identity in Christ, and and that should launch us into a life to be lived to God. But he uses a very strong word here. Paul's a smart guy, in case y'all hadn't figured that out yet. I told you earlier about the phrase my mom uses. Remember who you are and what you stand for. Paul doesn't just tell us to remember as if we've just forgotten who we are, but he tells us to reckon, consider, tap into this identity because he knows that we will have an identity problem. For we've been mastered by sin and under the dominion of death our whole life until our union with Christ. We still hear and feel the haunting of our old man, and we will have the tendency to forget who we are and answer once more, to the false dominion of our old master. When we sin, it's simply because we don't know who we are. 
we still live in this life as if our old master still has dominion over us. He doesn't. Even though all the truths are there, we still shudder under the haunting of our old master and submit to his faults. Paul says, consider, or a better word, reckon. Reckon here is not used the way that I heard it used in the Alabamian country way. I reckon we ought to go to the store. It's not a suggestion or an idea or a guess. It's more. It's an accounting term. It's as if Paul is saying here that we must account for all of this. So if we have all this money in the bank and it just sits there forever and it's never tapped into, then it would serve no purpose to us. It would be useless. Paul is telling us that all of this truth, who you are in Christ, it's vitally important for you to tap into it. You must draw it out of the bank and use it. This knowledge of who you are is what enables you to be able to be dead to sin and alive to God. Paul uses this word because he knows the big identity problem that we have. He knows that even though we believe all of these truths, we still walk through this life with all of that truth sitting in the bank and never drawing on it. We let it sit there and then we forget who we are in Christ and answer again to the false dominion of sin. Simply put, when we fall into sin, it is because we don't know who we are. We have an identity problem. Listen to this illustration from Martin Lloyd-Jones that depicts our condition. He says, take the case of those poor slaves in the United States of America. There they were in a condition of slavery. Then the American Civil War came. As the result of that war, slavery was abolished in the United States. But what had actually happened? All slaves, young and old, were given their freedom. But many of the older ones who had endured long years of servitude found it very difficult to understand their new status. They found the announcement that slavery was abolished. <clears throat> Excuse me. They found the announcement that slavery was abolished and that they were free. But hundreds, not to say thousands of times in their afterlives and experiences, many of them did not realize it. And when they saw their old master coming near them, they began to quake and to tremble and to wonder whether they were going to be sold or not. You can still be a slave experientially, even when you are no longer a slave legally. Whatever you feel, whatever your experience may be, God tells us here, through his word, that if we are in Christ, we are no longer in Adam. We are no longer under the reign of sin. And if I fall into sin, as I do, it is simply because I do not realize who I am. Realize it. Reckon it. Church, this is our condition. We have lived our whole lives under the mastery of sin. Although our slavery has been abolished, and we have been given a new identity, we still act as if, the, as if the shackles and the chains are still on us and we are under the rule of our old master. We don't realize our new condition. We struggle because we struggle to know who we really are as a new creation in Christ. I'm going to draw this to a close with a story about Augustine. Before becoming a Christian, Augustine was admittedly sexually promiscuous. The story goes that years later, after he had become the bishop of Carthage, his former mistress passed him on the street, calling out, 
Augustine, it is I. He stopped, he turned and responded, yes, but it is no longer I, Augustine. What does he mean? Augustine's brief response is grounded in this conviction. The Augustine that you once knew is no more. That Augustine is now dead. This Augustine standing before you is alive to God in Christ Jesus. Unbeliever here today, none of this is true of you. You are still separated from God. You're still dead in your sins and trespasses and living as a slave to your master, sin. You can't fix or improve your condition. You are dead. But thanks be to God, you can run to Christ. You do not have to live under the dominion of sin and death anymore. Believe on Christ. Run to Christ. Be united to him through faith and be alive to God. Church, we are no longer mastered by sin or under the dominion of death. For Christ has defeated sin and death and is reigning as king now and forever. We are united with him. And we are alive to God. We're not dead. We are alive to God. We can live now, today. We can live to him because of who we are now and who we will be. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. May we be able to join Paul and Augustine and say that man is no longer. The man that stands here today is alive to God. Church, we must reckon this truth. We must reckon this truth. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of who we are as we are united in Christ. Jesus has defeated sin, has laid death in his grave and is alive to you today. Lord, that is true of us. We are alive to you because of our unification in Christ. Lord, let this truth settle deep within all that we are so that we do not answer anymore to the false dominion of our old master. We are not dead men anymore. We are alive in Christ. Help us, Lord, to live this life to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.